0: Hi Travelers! You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay guys, today is Saturday, November 11th. Guys, great show today. We have Brendan Gustafson from Seattle going to come on talk to us about the Seahawks, their bounce back they need to have this week. Uh, Huskies are dominating right now Getting get to some college football talk With the Huskies Maybe even some Kraken as well And NHL is back They're having a good season so far Great talk with him lot to get into That coming up in a second But first guys Let's do uh, some football talk NFL talk Gotta recap Thursday night football Do we? Qu- uh, quickly Quickly uh, Close game I mean let's start with that guys Was it closer than you thought it would be? I mean I'm surprised the Bears Didn't run away with it more than they did especially with how much the uh, especially with how much the Panthers have been struggling lately. I mean, what do you guys think about this game so far? Are you surprised it was as close as it was? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised with this with the score, with the results, with the st-
1: statistics. I I'm definitely not. I mean, I I knew this was going to be a close, low-scoring game. I mean, both of these teams are have a combined four wins on the season and 15 losses right now as the Bears won the game last night. I'm not shocked.
2: No, and what the Bears did was they actually boosted their own chances to get the number one pick. Because remember, they own the Panthers pick for next year. So right now, Carolina would hold, or they would have the number one pick, but it's going to go to the Bears. So big time win for the Bears. I guess the ultimate win-win for them. Tyson Bajant actually looked decent. Uh, Deontay Foreman had his first touchdown. So, I mean. Not much more to say than that.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh that was going to be my biggest point from this game too. It's uh, we kind of forget that <laughs> the Bears have Panthers, uh, number one overall pick next week. So this or next next year in the draft. So this was a big game for them. Uh, kind of a, a win-win. Get the win and also uh, increase their draft stock as well. Yeah, I don't really have much else to uh, say about this. I mean, obviously a run-heavy game for the the Bears. Panthers couldn't really stop it. Bajan, like you said, Zach played actually pretty well. All things considered, uh, we'll see how he kind of is down the stretch i don't know when Fields expected is expected to come back I, i know he's still kind of uh lingering from that hand injury that he had good for the bears though i don't really have much else to say about this game kind of expected even higher scoring than i maybe thought it would be i'm surprised it got close to 40 as it did let's do week uh next week preview guys week 10 coming up in the nfl start with the closest game of the week like we always do zach we'll start with you what do you expect to be one of the closest games this week coming up in the nfl
2: I think it's going to be 49ers-Jaguars. The Niners have had a week off after a three-game losing streak. I think they're a better team than what they've shown as of late. I think Christian McCaffrey might be still the best running back in football. But this is a prime opportunity for Jacksonville. Everybody's talked about the Chiefs and the Ravens and the AFC. Well, the Jaguars are only a half game behind them, and the only reason they're a half game behind is because they had a bye last week. So. This team is doing it on the defensive side of the ball. Trevor Lawrence has played pretty well as of late. This is another opportunity for a signature win for the Jags. Remember, they got a big win last year against the Cowboys in an NFC interconference game that kind of showed that Jacksonville wasn't just good against the AFC South. They're just good in general. They've got another opportunity to do that here, and the 49ers really need a win. if They're going to keep any sort of pace with the Eagles, the Cowboys, all these other teams in the NFC. And, you know, you you can't afford to fall too far behind Seattle. You're tied for first place in that division right now. The Niners need to win desperately. The Jaguars have an opportunity to kind of show that they're more than just a pretty good team. They have a chance to show they're a contender.
0: Chase Young going to come in for 49ers as well. First game for the 49ers. That's something to watch out for as well. My closest game of the week, I'm going to go Houston-Cincinnati uh cj stroud that was my other option yeah i mean it's going to be a, it's going to be a really really fun game as well it could be a shootout whatever you want to call it but it's going to be a close game all things considered both teams are going to put up a lot of points C- cj stroud as we said you know a couple times this week and this whole season really has been playing absolutely amazing he became the sixth player in nfl history path this past week in the past for over 450 yards five or more touchdowns and zero interceptions in a game and he did it as a rookie. Um, he became the second rookie ever with 400 plus pass yards and five plus TDs in a game. That's uh, only Matthew Stafford has done that as well. So CJ Stroud playing absolutely amazing. Texans offense surprising everyone. I mean, they're averaging 23.4 points per game, and Bengals are scoring you know only 20 points per game. But Burrow, that's I mean, a lot of that is because of their how they started the season their first you know three four games of the season, but ever since then, uh they have been playing absolutely amazing burrow find is does have his groove back has two touchdown passes in three of his last four games since week five since they really started to come out of their shell and you know get back into their groove since week five uh he leads the nfl with a 75.8 completion percentage and a 111 passer rating so Bengals are definitely back defensive battle will be pretty even overall i mean both teams only give up, like I said, about 20 points a game, and this is going to be a really, really close game and extremely, extremely fun to watch. Justin, what is your closest game of the week? I'm going
1: to go with the Browns and the Ravens. This is going to be a defensive slugfest with the Browns having the number one defense, or the Ravens have the number two ranked defense. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. I, w- I don't expect a lot of points to be put up. I'd say about Mm, probably late you know early Mm -hmm. 20s early 20s maybe even in the late teens like a 20 to 17 game i can see i mean i think this is going to basically be which defense blinks so i i see a very close game and a defensive slugfest
0: with the browns and the ravens watson played decently well against the cardinals last week i mean i know it's the cardinals i wouldn't say he's back by any means but yeah didn't play terribly last week and so that's something else to look out for watson let's see if he can keep up momentum that he had from last week most intriguing storyline zach what is your most intriguing storyline of this weekend Whew, most intriguing
2: storyline i want to see it yeah i want to see if cj stroud can do it again i want to see if the Bengals can continue their momentum they've won four in a row they've started the year one and three and now they're starting to play like maybe the best team in the afc joe burrow's been fantastic over these last four games and now C.J. Stroud gets to go on the road. You know, his offensive line has kind of struggled. He's coming back to Ohio, and he's obviously been pretty good in the state of Ohio before, Mm -hmm. so a real opportunity for him. And for the Texans, trying to keep pace with the Jaguars, I mentioned. Jacksonville's got a tough game with San Francisco. If Houston is able to win this game, and the Jaguars lose, Houston's only a game back in the AFC South, and that becomes a real race in that division. And you look at the Bengals, they're trying to keep pace with the Chiefs, the Ravens, and all these other top teams in the AFC, so I think this is the most intriguing game.
0: I'm going to go with uh, going back to the 49ers game. I mean, kind of like you already alluded to Zach from my most intriguing storyline. I just want to see if this buy is going to help the 49ers. I mean, they've obviously had a really rough uh, these past three weeks, the past three weeks that they played anyhow, obviously coming off a buy, but I want to see if this buy can help them, you know, get back to their winning ways Uh, difference. We've seen a different side of Brock Purdy these past few weeks. I mean, Purdy had nine touchdown throws and no interception in San Francisco's 5-0 start. But since then, over his last three games, he has only three scoring passes and five interceptions. Not very good in close games down the stretch either. He has has under a 25 pass rating in the fourth quarter in games that are in a one-score game. Chase Young going to come for the 49ers first game. Playing with, I should say, his old college teammate Nick Bosa. Yeah, I want to see the 49ers get back to the they're winning ways i mean only four weeks ago a month ago they were arguably the best team in football and now people i don't even know if people would call them in the in the top five anymore so definitely a time to buy stock in the 49ers especially if they can start to get back to their winning ways uh justin what is your most intriguing storyline most intriguing
1: storyline i want to see if josh dobbs can really uh be the guy up in minnesota and lead him towards a playoff push i think uh I think we're going to really see uh, what Josh Dobbs does this week, and it's going to be a very telling game for the Vikings as uh, as Josh Dobbs. I think this is his big opportunity here, and you know, let's see if it pays off because I don't know if the Vikings completely move on from Kirk Cousins yet. They probably might now that he's a free agent at the end of the year. Now Mm -hmm. with the Achilles injury, uh, let's see what Josh Dobbs does. I'm very intrigued to see how he's played he's bounced around and you know now this is I, I think this is a big opportunity here to win the starting job in minnesota and lead him to the
0: playoffs well too. i think he has it for the rest of the season so far i mean it depends when kurt cousins mm-hmm. comes back If he's playing for for a starting role maybe not in the vikings but somewhere else for sure uh next season surprise of the week zach we'll start with you what is uh what's the potential surprise you see coming up uh tomorrow uh surprise of the week poof
2: gonna be tough like yeah san francisco's favored but i think the jags have a real shot to win that game uh i'm gonna say detroit against the chargers the lions are three-point road favorite i feel like this is a game that the chargers have to have the lions this is a game that they would really like to have the chargers have to win this game they've bounced back a little bit they've won their last two austin eckler's looked really good in the last couple of weeks justin herbert's starting to kind of turn things around but it was the charger defense that dominated against the jets six sacks in that game all over Zach Wilson, that Jets offensive line. I don't expect that kind of dominance against the Detroit offensive line, but I do think Colomac and company will get after Jared Goff. I think the Chargers have a real chance to get this done at home and get back above 500, and put themselves back in the playoff mix.
0: Yeah, Keenan Allen has been playing really good, too, for the Chargers. My uh, surprise of the week, AFC North battle. I don't really know if you want to call it a surprise, per se. I will go uh, Browns over the Ravens this week. Uh, as a potential surprise I mean like I said Deshaun Watson last week against the Cardinals played pretty well all things considered like I said it was the Cardinals Browns defense uh, absolutely amazing probably the best defense in the league held the Cardinals only 58 total yards of offense last week not the same Browns not the same Brown team the Ravens saw in week four either I mean obviously at that point Dorian Thomas Robinson was the quarterback uh, for the Browns Deshaun Watson like I said is back the Ravens main threat is their run game but the browns have uh have been a really good run stopping team all season long they're gonna make lamar jackson throw the ball and honestly i the only was the only receiver i really trust on baltimore is mark andrews they don't have a whole lot of other options you know competent options that i would trust i mean say flowers production has been going down uh, odo beckham jr i mean he looks like a fossil out there in most games and nelson aguilar and Rashad Bateman. they're Simply just can't catch. So, yeah, I mean, they're gonna force they're gonna force Deshaun Watson, or they're gonna force um the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to throw the ball. And I, again, it might become a struggle for them, uh, especially you know, like I said, with the struggling receivers they've had uh, this whole season long. And you know, Justin, what is your potential surprise of the week? I'm
1: gonna go Cardinals as a potential surprise this week. The Falcons have not been playing their best football as of recently. They definitely, it seems like, need a new quarterback as the Falcons have lost the last two. I expect them to lose three straight here, and I think the Cardinals get a win here.
0: All right. Shootout of the week. Zach, what is your shootout of the week?
2: Uh, it's going to be Bengals-Texans. It's going yep. C.J. Stroud, Joe yep. Burrow. I think they're going to have a little back-and-forth shootout, even without T. Higgins. Jamar Chase is going to play. Cincinnati's offense is rolling right now. The Texans put 39 on the board last week against the Bucks. I, I think this is going to be the shootout. And as we see pretty much every week, there's it's probably going to be a game that we're not talking about that's going to be the shootout of the week. But in this case, I'm going Bengals-Texans.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the Lions-Chargers. Already kind of talked on this game a little bit as well. Definitely potential to be a shootout. Lions' offensive looked really good this this season. Chargers eighth overall in total offense going into Week 10. Uh, Herbert, his average death of target last season was seven. He's now at 8.4 this year, making a lot more bigger plays, a lot more uh, meaningful plays for the, for the Chargers. Lions getting healthy after the bye. Dave Montgomery will be back as well. Both teams are well in the playoff hunt, searching for that playoff, you know, by playoff berth, and both squads, though, occasionally do have terrible defense and uh, tend to be kind of inconsistent on defense. This game definitely has potential to be a shootout. Justin, what is your shootout of the week?
1: I'm actually going to go Broncos Bills. I think this could be a, a potential shootout as because the Broncos defense is ranked 30th, or 32nd in the league, dead last, and the Bills, they have a bottom 15 defense. I could see this game being a shootout and the Bills... I don't. I don't trust them to really blow out the Broncos or really have a have a good game. I mean, they should have a good offensive game and should bounce back at home. But the Broncos are coming off a bye.
0: I do think this is going to be a close game, and I expect a shootout. Uh, Broncos defense has been playing really well too, so it's something to look out for over the last like two three weeks. Snoozer of the week, opposite end of the coin. Zach, what do you? Uh, what game do you see being an underlock of the week?
2: uh Cardinals Falcons yeah. I there's no storyline whatsoever here Bijan Robinson's not getting the ball the Falcons offense has been stuck in the mud and the Cardinals have just been pathetic this season I don't really this is probably the game that I would want to watch the least of every game this weekend so Cardinals Falcons
0: uh I'm going to go with Packers Steelers Steelers are 5 and 3 despite averaging uh only 16.6 points per game and having a negative 30 point differential through through their eight games one of the only two teams in the league that have a winning record with a negative point differential seahawks being the other team kenny pickett looking really bad in his second year a lot of that is obviously the play calling but i mean he ranks 29th out of 32 quarterbacks in completion percentage 28th in touchdown percentage 25th in success rate 26th in yards per attempt and 26th in passer rating defense for the steelers has been the only thing keeping them in line. Alive, Jordan Love is going to struggle against the Steelers for the defense. Aaron Jones, really the only offensive threat that they have right now. Uh, he's been carrying their whole offense: twenty carries, seventy-three yards, and one touchdown last week against the Rams. A lot of a lot of the games Steelers have played in this year have been have been pretty snoozers. Despite them, you know, coming away with some victories here, nice victories. Justin, what is your snoozer of the week? I'm going to
1: go Jets Raiders. This is going to be a very low-scoring game. Once again, the Jets. Trying out, trotting out Zach Wilson and the Raiders with uh, Aiden O'Connell as their quarterback. I don't think it's going to be what the Raiders played like last week on offense and the Jets. I mean, Zach Wilson once again. What else do you have to mm-hmm. say? He's he's not the guy there. Obviously, we know that, and I I think it's going to be a very snooze fest of a Sunday night game.
0: Favorites of the week, Zach. What is your favorite of the week?
2: Uh the Cowboys bouncing back against the Giants are 17 point favorites in this game. The Cowboys probably should have beat the Eagles last week. The Giants are 2 and 7 without a quarterback. And remember the first time these teams played it was 40 to nothing Dallas. I don't know if it's going to be 40 to nothing this time, but it is not going to be pretty. Dallas is going to bounce back in a big time way here.
0: I'm going to go we talked about it already a little bit at length here. Falcons, yeah, Cardinals like Kyle Murray though, the only real thing to really point out from this game is that he might return for the Cardinals, but even if so, he's He's not going to be as dynamic as he usually is, which is what really makes him so important and so valuable for the Cardinals. He's not going to be able to run as much as he used to be uh, as he still kind of recovers from that injury that he's nursing. But yeah, uh, Taylor Haneke played okay uh, for the Falcons. I think he's going to come back. I mean, I'm excited to see how he plays. I think he is going to get the win over the Cardinals. Cardinals are still in full on tank mode. Justin, what is your favorite of the week?
1: I'm going Cowboys over the Giants. This is easily going to be the lock of the week. I mean, the Giants starting Tommy DeVito again, and the Cowboys coming off the loss to the Eagles. I mean, it's just – it's a 17-point favorite, and, I mean, the Giants are just so just dysfunctional. They're just the most dysfunctional team in that division. The Cowboys have won 11 straight at home against the Giants – Easy win for the Cowboys.
0: Before moving on to the Writer's Block, guys, and uh, our, our awesome interview with uh, Brandon Gustafson, I do want to get into just a real quick nod about the MLB viewership uh, for the World Series this year—lowest viewership ever, according to Nelson. Uh, baseball has a problem. I know we've talked about it before. You know, we've talked about it. Many other shows have talked about it. You know, baseball—the players in baseball don't promote the sport. Uh, baseball doesn't really do enough to you know, promote their stars and really get the young crowd attracted. I mean, obviously the, the changes that, that they made to the, you know, the roles this year, I think helped a lot of people go into the stadium. I think they saw definitely an increase in people going to baseball games, but the viewership didn't really, it, it didn't really do much, if, if anything for the viewership. And I just kind of want get, to get your thoughts on MLB guys. I mean, is it in trouble going forward? I mean, what do they have to do to kind of get you know, get their viewership back. I mean, people are still going to go to games, going to games are super fun, especially in the summer, nice weather. But, you know, like I said, this world series hit they had against the Rangers and Diamondbacks does not look good for the sport. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on, you know, what they do going forward to kind of help them get out of the situation. I think they should do an in-season tournament,
1: to be honest, you know, scrap the all-star game and do what, do what kind of the NBA is doing. It's not the right thing for the NBA to do, but for the MLB in this case, I think we should we should definitely look at an in season tournament and still kind of do the home run derby, mm-hmm. but I don't uh, I I do think that that could help the ratings as well. But again, baseball, especially among the younger generations, speaking, yeah. it's not that popular. It's not as popular as football or basketball or maybe even hockey. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I think baseball should do a better job at it. I mean, try to get the in-season tour. I I would I, I think baseball uh, the in-season tournament makes way more sense for the MLB than it does for the NBA because the All-Star break, I mean, I think I think it's time to scrap the All-Star yeah. game and we can do the home run derby before the in-season tournament instead of the All-Star game. Yeah. So, I think baseball I I'm glad they did the pitch clock. I, I'm a complete proponent of it, but I think that uh, I think baseball should should consider the in season tournament. Unlike the NBA, which should do the in season tournament, in my opinion.
2: I think baseball. Two things baseball should do. Number one is they need to sil- uh, shorten the regular season. It takes way too long. There's too much investment you have to make. And the problem is, when the playoffs start, guess what's starting around that time? Football. Mm -hmm. That takes up everybody's attention, sucks all the oxygen out of baseball. So shorten the regular season to about 130 games or so. Start the playoffs earlier so that you have the nation's undivided attention. You can have baseball playoff games in late August or early September, right, as football's kind of getting started and doesn't accumulate all the momentum yet. So shorten the regular season. And I think they need to revamp the playoff format. You cannot have the top teams having a whole week off. This isn't football where they're used to playing games every week. Baseball players are used to playing every other day or so, and so that throws everybody off when they take an entire week, and it just didn't feel like the best teams were in the World Series. I think that was part of the biggest reason why the ratings dropped, but I mean, part of it can't be helped. Bigger markets and star players help, so you need to promote the game better, promote the stars, and if you can do that, you got a chance, but the nba even suffers this problem they promote star players but if mm-hmm. you know last year what did we see the nba finals ratings were not particularly great either so it just oftentimes it just depends on matchups
1: well for the ratings obviously for all four of the sports all five whatever of the major sports the nfl is king the nfl is king with ratings the nfl is king with marketing their star players with marketing the league it's football football's basically popular everywhere whether it's college or the NFL but the NFL is is uh is the kings of of sports ratings
2: it doesn't matter who's in the Super Bowl yeah like the NF I'm trying to think of the NFL equivalent mm-hmm. of what this would be but it wouldn't matter there's still 100 million people are gonna watch regardless
1: yeah because the Super Bowl is really the only thing that's on people just not just the game but the commercials the halftime show people are gonna even you know the casual to non
0: football fan is gonna is gonna watch the Super yeah. Bowl, and we even talked about it on Thursday's show. I mean, people people watched Thursday night football despite being a terrible matchup because it's still football. I mean, it's it's NFL like we all said it owns and, and it owns everything. But even like having a game like they even had games on. For the World Series on a Friday, like you don't have games on a Friday, that's just absolute sin in, in you know, in this industry. Like, you don't have you don't broadcast games on a Friday, they still did that. So, even like little things like that. But before moving on, I think a, a take I heard which was actually kind of interesting is um, maybe MLB following in the footsteps of MLS. MLS obviously signed a multi million dollar deal with Apple TV. Uh, you know, this past, this past year, and it's really working out for them. I know, obviously, Messi came to the MLS. That's also really, really helping their ratings. But uh, I think that would be something interesting for MLB to consider going down the line is maybe partnering with like a Netflix or something and making it more of a streaming platform, making it a lot more accessible to people uh, across the country, besides relying on these, you know, local broadcasts and making all these uh, deals with these local uh, broadcasting companies. But yeah, we'll see what happens going down the line, but MLB definitely has to figure something out. Writer's block. Let's move on to the writer's block, guys. Guys, before our interview with Brandon, Zach, what is your writer's block of the week?
2: Uh, writer's block of the week just continues to be the Michigan saga. Like the writers that are taking Michigan side, the writers that are you know going all over the place as far as spewing misinformation. It, it's just driving me up a wall like at <laughs> People are acting like they did nothing wrong are the same people that punished or wanted to punish Ohio State for the tattoo scandal and wanted to get on other people for menial stuff. I mean, what are we talking about here? There's clearly enough evidence that shows that Michigan did something. And to say that Jim Harbaugh knew nothing, it doesn't matter because the NCAA has deliberately come out and said – that the head coach should know everything going on with their program, and like I've said, every coach knows everything about their program until shit hits the fan, and then they know absolutely nothing about the program. It's an absolute joke at this point. So the writers that are sticking up for Michigan, it's just it's sickening.
0: My um my writers block of the week, uh, a lot of you know ESPN, The Athletic, writing stories about Connor Bedard being the third youngest player to get a four point game in the league. Great, I mean, I just don't think it's much of a story because. I think Conor Bedard has definitely proven himself at this point. He's kind of like Victor Womenyama. I mean, it's kind of the year of two main, you know, big main name uh, young stars that are really kind of living up to the hype. I mean, Womenyama's been playing amazing. And Conor Bedard is also the same way. I I just don't think we need to make storylines about him, uh, you know, because I think it's kind of expected at this point that he is going to start breaking records. I mean, he's already broken records in his first game, you know, his you know, third game he was in, he broke a record. I mean, he's just going to continue doing this. And I don't think we need to have a storyline every single time he does it because I think it is just the expectation for him moving forward. And like I said, he's definitely has lived up to the hype uh, so far in the NHL. And you know Black Hawk fans should be extremely excited going down the road with him. Justin, what is your writer's block of the week?
1: My writer's block is the conflict of Craig Council's managerial decisions, uh, might be might not be back with the Brewers obviously the Brewers might not extend them but I uh, I mean definitely it's not a it's not really a managerial hunger game story if you will as the athletic was writing about here so um, it's interesting I mean it happens with uh, at this time of the year especially with the managerial decisions and yeah. baseball managers changing so yeah that's That's the
0: thing. Uh, Let's move on, guys, with our interview with Brandon Gustafson uh, from Seattle. Awesome, awesome interview. Break down the Seahawks, you know, expecting their bounce back tomorrow. Uh, You know, we break down the Huskies in lieu of their game tonight. Um, And, you know, we just uh, talked some Kraken as well. And just awesome interview with him. And without further ado, let's head west and talk to Brandon in Seattle. Okay, we now head west and talk to Brandon Gustafson, from uh, content editor for seattlesports.com. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Going to get into some Seahawks, get into uh, some Huskies as well. Obviously, just looking in on the college football playoffs right now. Uh, get Talk about them, their chances of getting in, what they have to do, what the teams in front of them obviously have to do more than maybe just lose. But maybe get in some cracking as well. Uh, so happy yeah, to no have problem. you.
3: A lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun stuff going on up here right now. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: Well, let's uh, start with that then. So, Seahawks, I mean. So, uh, rough game they had against the Ravens. Uh, They were cruising, though. I mean, they were really considered to be maybe one of the top, you know, second best team in, you know, in the NFC before that bad loss to the Ravens. And now no one really knows, like, who the second best team behind the Eagles are. I mean, the 49ers have been kind of struggling lately. I mean, the Eagles just beat the Cowboys as well. They've been kind of, uh, Cowboys have been struggling on offense a little bit. In your defense, like, do you think the Seahawks are still the clear second best team in the NFC? If maybe even a potential, you know, if the Eagles start to struggle here and they get their foot footing in the door, the, the Seahawks, do you think they might even be able to be one of the best teams in the NFC once the playoffs start and the season comes to a close? Yeah, I mean,
3: they're, they're a legit contender for the NFC and the NFC West. I, I think right now, if I was to rank everything, Philly's obviously the cream of the crop. They showed that last year. They've, they've been playing really, really good football this year. Um, I'd probably put Detroit second, even though, you know, like the Seahawks, they had the really, really ugly loss to Baltimore. They got blown out by Baltimore too. Uh, Seattle and 49ers haven't played yet. I think that's going to be really telling for kind of the overall landscape of the NFC. I think both those teams will wind up getting into the playoffs, but, Mm uh, the Seahawks have uh, been a little bit turnover prone over the last few weeks. I think Geno Smith has nine turnovers over his last four games. And that's kind of a big no-no for Pete Carroll and his time here. So, uh, you know, I, I, they're, they're a solid football team. I mean, they'll win nine or 10 games for sure this year, whether they're going to be that 10, 11, 12 win team that some people were hoping for, probably not, but at the very least, they're a really, really solid wild card contender. Let's get into
0: Gino Smith. I mean, big fan of him. I went to West Virginia. So I actually, when I was there, he was, he was, I was a, he was a seat. Oh, he was just leaving. It was his last year. Okay. When I was a freshman, but um, yeah, I mean, Gino, One of the things he was known for last year so well was taking care of the ball and really his whole career. He's been a quarterback that really has taken care of the ball. What, I mean, what impact has that had just his turnover, you know, issues that he's been having these last couple of games? I mean, obviously it's been leading to some, to some losses. I mean, Ravens, they lost 37 to three. They got blown out by them. and I know that wasn't all on Geno Smith, but just tell me just how much of uh, his concerns with turning the ball over have been a problem uh for the Seahawks lately
3: yeah it's a concern and Pete Carroll's number one rule he has a bunch of team rules and and number one is it's all about the ball right they 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 track turnover differential that is kind of like that And explosive plays are the two things that they chart more than anything and when you're giving away nine freebies overall as good as their defense has been this year up until last week and they've been pretty good at taking ball away it's really 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 hard to win that way and Part of those problems stem from protection. They've had kind of a makeshift offensive line all year. Uh, Charles Cross, their first-round left tackle from last year, he missed, I think, three or four games. The right tackle, Abe Lucas, who was really good as a rookie last year, he hasn't played since week one. They've had a bunch of shuffling with injuries in the interior. So I think part of it's just Geno's pressing. He has good weapons, and he knows that, and the Seahawks know that. They have a really good receiver trio with Lockett and Metcalf and – jackson smith and jigbo the rookie this year but i i think that he's just starting to press a little bit i feel like he kind of has a little bit too much on his shoulders just because of some of the stuff that's going wrong in mm-hmm. front of him but they need to run the ball better and statistically geno smith is the third best quarterback in the nfl in qbr when it comes to play action passes he's 25th or 26th in the straight drop back game and part of that play action has been using two or three tight ends they have three tight ends that they really like that's something that they need to get back to this weekend when they play washington and Part of that, too, is they need to run the ball better, but they're 1 of 12 on third down against Baltimore. You're not going to have many plays or many chances to run the ball when you're 1 of 12 on third down. So there are some kind of basic things that they can get back to, but it starts with just getting ahead on early downs, running the ball more, getting Gino maybe a little bit more out of the pocket because we've seen that's when he really, really excels.
0: NFC, probably the lucky number to get to the playoffs with a wild card spot. I mean, we'll get the division in a little bit coming up with the, you know, their two games or, but the 49ers are coming up in end of September or end of November, early December, but um, maybe like nine wins to get into the playoffs for a wild card spot in the NFC. That being said, um, tomorrow, you know, on Sunday they play commanders and then they play the Rams, obviously the week after that, how vital are they, are these two games coming up, you know, given their playoff chances and considering that they play the 49ers then at the end of November, Uh, The Cowboys after that 49ers again in December or in early December, and then the Eagles after that. So, you know, how, I mean, are these must wins these next two weeks against the commanders and the Rams in order to have a chance to make the playoffs down the stretch? I don't know about making the playoffs as a whole. If, if, if the goal is to win the NFC
3: West, which I know it is that then, yeah, the, 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 these are two games that they got to have, especially that Rams game. The Rams punked them week one. And and a lot of people were kind of questioning what are the Rams going to be this year after some, some overhaul last year, they, they didn't have the best year. A ton of guys were hurt, banged up and all that. And the Rams came out and just punched him in the mouth without Cooper cup and passed the ball all up and down the field. And that was kind of when we all learned who poop Nakua was right. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, so that that's a huge huge game for them, but it all starts this week. Uh, Ron Rivera has always played Pete Carroll's teams really closely, dating back to his time with Carolina. They're overall a really well coached team, and I think a lot of people forget they were a player two away from beating the Eagles not once but twice. They, they're four and five; they could be easily five and four, six and three. They're not a bad football team. So these are two really critical wins, especially because, like you mentioned, that four game gauntlet of San Francisco on Thanksgiving. Dallas is a Thursday night game after that, so you don't get the typical long break yep. after playing on Thursday night. And then San Francisco again, twice in three weeks, and then Philly. I mean, that's just – that that's a tough task for any team, but especially for a Seahawks team that, again, is trying to be a playoff contender, but is also trying to kind of figure some things out on the fly right now because things haven't quite gone as well the last four weeks, especially in Baltimore where everything kind of came to a head for them.
0: I, I can only imagine the fans are – pleasantly surprised with how the 49ers have been dropping off here. I mean, it, you guys, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, we talk about it, right. I mean, San Francisco after week five was the best team in football. I think many people would say that not just NFC, but in football, uh, three game losing streak here, they look actually mortal again. Um, and that was something the Seahawks were not really expecting after week five. I mean, you could have thought the Seahawks were going to go, gosh, I don't even know, like fifth, you know, 14, you know, maybe even 15 wins in the season, but like, how, how much of a nice surprise has that been that you guys actually have a chance to win the division now with how the 49ers have been struggling, You know, especially over the last three weeks? Yeah, I mean, it, it's big. And, and last year was kind of a,
3: a little bit different where San Francisco just absolutely had Seattle's number. They, they beat them both times in the regular season and then blew them out in the playoffs. And even when Kyle Shanahan has had his team really, really good it, before last year, Pete Carroll's had his number overall in that matchup. It's been fairly one-sided since Shanahan took over down in San Francisco. So it's, it from, you know, it's kind of a cool thing to have that rivalry renewed again, because obviously back in the early 2010s, Pete, Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that was just some, those were just some incredible games and matchups. It's two very different styles. Now, obviously very different players. Bobby Wagner's like the only guy left from, from those days that's on either side. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised by it. I'm surprised that their defense hasn't been quite as good. That was kind of the main thing. I thought, you know, you, you kind of know what the offense is at this point And you know who Brock Purdy is, honestly. He's a game manager with great weapons and a great offensive line, a great run game. But the defense was kind of where a lot of us thought they were going to make their bread and butter. Just a dangerous defensive line. They're linebackers. They probably have the best linebacker core in NFL. And that unit hasn't been great. They haven't gotten after the quarterback very much up front. Bosa, I think, only has a handful of sacks, and he's usually a defensive player of the year type guy. So, them yeah. being where they're at coming off the bye is a little surprising. Um, but yeah, from a Seahawks perspective, I'm sure that they're <laughs> kind of they're they're looking forward to getting these two games done and seeing how they stack up against San Francisco because it's very likely that when these two teams match up, they're going to be tied for the NFC West lead.
0: Talk to me about your opinion on this uh, point differential they have. Seahawks, only one other team in the NFL, has a winning record with a, a minus point differential. What are your thoughts? I mean, how, how do we – is that like – what has been the biggest problem that has been contributing to that point differential this year? Has it been, you know, just really bad, you know, high-yield turnovers? Or like what do you think has really been the biggest issue contributing to that uh, high point turnover? Well, they, they, they have three losses and two of them they just got they got
3: blown out. I think that's right. a big thing. Uh, the, the Rams game that that was a 20 point loss this past week was a 34 point loss. I mean, if you, obviously you can't take those out of the equation, but, but it's definitely worth kind of noting. They, they've, they've won five games. They've lost three, two of them have just been total blowouts. The other one was a one score game in Cincinnati. That's part of it. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it just because mm-hmm. those two losses were so out of hand, but they have take care of their business more often than they haven't this year. If it's, you know, mid December, and they're they're minus twenty, minus forty, something like that. It's a little bit of a different discussion considering the teams that they're going to be going up against and how they're going to have to play those games. But as of right now, I think it's just hey, they got punked week one by a Rams team that surprised them, and then this past week, Baltimore just did everything that they wanted to. I think that's just kind of the main thing with it.
0: Were uh, Seahawks fans upset that they didn't do more at the trade deadline? And, uh, so Leonard Williams, that was the biggest name, and I think the only trade. It- as far as I'm concerned, that the Seahawks yep. made yep, that's at right. the trade deadline, um, you know DL, you know from Giant, from from New York, from the Giants coming over, you know all the way coast to coast. I would say, what uh, were fans upset that they didn't do more at the trade deadline though? No, I don't think so. And I think part of it
3: is, you know, they they've done a really good job drafting these last two mm-hmm. years. They had a little mm-hmm. bit of a lull for a while. I don't think that people were really expecting them to do more than the one trade. I, I think that especially when the, you saw that they gave up a second round pick for Leonard Williams and a future fifth, I don't think people really wanted them to give up any more than that. And the other part of that too is, you know, Geno's a great story. And Geno obviously signed the contract and everything, but this is a really good quarterback class. I know we're going to talk Dub in a little bit. Michael Penix Jr. is firmly one of those guys that's probably a first, second round pick. It's a good quarterback class. And if you look at the construction of Geno Smith's contract, the easiest time to get out of it is after this year. So holding on to as many picks as they can, you know, especially that first round pick is critical. But at the same time, the Leonard Williams trade showed like, Hey, we know our defensive line, our run defense is a bit of an issue. Uh, That was a huge issue for them last year. And was probably their biggest problem heading into this season. Um, But that they think that they have enough there to contend, not just for the NFC West, but potentially an NFC title and a trip to the Super Bowl as well.
0: Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you that. So um, there's actually a, there's a very good chance it sounds like that um, Seahawks might try to get a quarterback next year. Or, I mean, it's loaded, the, the class, like you just said it's loaded with names. <laughs> so you think they will maybe try to get the quarterback?
3: Yeah. And a lot of, we, we thought that that was a possibility this past year because they, they had two picks yep. in the first round, number five, overall, they had two picks in the second round. So if they wanted to trade up, they had more ammo than anybody to do it. If they, if one of the guys fell to them at five, I think they would have been totally comfortable doing it, but they were very vocal that they were looking even after signing Gino to the contract. I mean, they, they were taking selfies with Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. I mean, they, they didn't have a chance to draft those first three guys, but they they did have two chances to take Will Levis and passed on him and they opted not to trade up, but no, it's a, it's a really good class this year. I think it's definitely deeper than last year's class. And obviously at the tippy top, I mean Caleb Williams would have been the number one pick over those three guys that went one, two, and four this past year. So it's a special quarterback class. I would not be surprised one bit if they ended up doing that, in part because Pete Carroll's contract is up after 2025. He's in his mid 70s right now. You don't know how long he's going to stick around, even though the guy runs around like he's 25 on the sidelines and everything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's just a bundle of energy for his age. But at the same time, he's not going to be around forever. And at some point, they do need to find kind of that next long term guy. Cause I think Geno's kind of a bridge guy, and that's totally fine. And it's more than a lot of people thought Geno Smith was, especially when he got handed the starting job last year. But got to be planning for the future. And there's nothing more valuable right. than finding your franchise quarterback in the draft
0: if the draft was tomorrow uh they would be 25th uh right. do you think they can get a high quality enough quarterback at that high of a draft you know to be that next guy to replace you know long term yeah i mean
3: it's it's tough that you know that probably at least three guys are going to go top 10 everybody's talking Caleb Williams number one Drake May from UNC is probably a top five pick as well but there are guys like Penix and Bo Nix who are maybe older have more question marks coming up Uh, Penix in particular had two ACL tears and a shoulder injury I mean he got knocked out four seasons in a row at Indiana before coming Mm -hmm. to So. There are those kind of guys that are maybe a little older, or maybe have those kind of question marks that'll maybe slide a little bit. be first, second round guys, but yeah, I mean there there there's a chance that there's like five, six, seven guys taken in the first forty picks. So if, if you're at twenty five, I don't think that precludes you from being able to take somebody. And obviously, trading future capital to move up isn't out of the realm of possibility either.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about getting Michael Penix. I'm sure the fans would love to get him. At that. I mean, <laughs> if they can if they can snag him. I mean, speaking of though, good segue. I do want to talk about UW um outside looking in right now in the college football playoffs let me just ask you this what is the path for washington to get into the football playoffs and uh college football playoffs and like what really needs to
3: happen right uh well, well part of it is you know michigan and ohio state are going to play in a few weeks so one of those two is going to is, is yeah. going to fall at, at, yeah. at some point right um, the the mm-hmm. other thing is, I think if UW wins out and Florida State wins out, UW's body of, of work would look better than Florida State's. The ACC's really mm-hmm. bad this year. It's not nearly as good as a lot of us thought it was going to be heading into this year. And UW will have ranked wins. If, if, hypothetically, if they went out over Oregon. USC, who's not ranked anymore, but but they were for most of the year. Arizona's ranked now. They play Utah mm-hmm. tomorrow. They have Oregon State the next week. And they're probably going to match up with Oregon again in the Pac-12 title game. I mean, that's as good a body of work as anybody in college football would have if they were to win out. You went, If they win out, then it's going to take care of itself because they, they'd have a better resume than Florida State. One of those two Big Ten teams would fall. I mean, even Georgia tomorrow against Ole Miss, that's going to be one of the games of the day for sure. So. Uh, everything's ahead of them. You know, I think that's one of the better things is controlling your destiny over last year, trying to sneak into the Pac-12 title game, which they weren't able to do. They needed a win and some help at the very end. Uh, but, no, they're they're in a good spot. The, these next two weeks, though, going to be really tough. Utah's a really well-coached team. Oregon State has always been kind of a, a pain to play against with Jonathan Smith mm-hmm. as head coach, and they have a better quarterback situation this year than they have. But, no, UW's got everything in front of them, and it, it looks like it's going to be UW-Oregon in the Pac-12 title game. Game again which should be a lot of fun these last two years when these two teams have faced off have been two of the better games that I've seen live and uh, uh, I, I'm sure that a
0: Pac-12 title game would not disappoint from a viewership standpoint what um what has been so successful with this team though besides I mean Michael Pennix playing obviously amazing but like what is what else has been so successful for this team this year?
3: well uh, getting where they are. yeah so so last year was the first year under Kalen DeBoer their their new head coach and before that uh under Jimmy Lake it was just they, they had a really bad offense they, they had some guys but just syst- systematically everything it just didn't work and DeBoer comes in and, and runs this kind of spread air raid down the field type offense lands the perfect quarterback with Penix who's the guy that can make every throw on the football field, but. They already had some weapons. Roma Dunze, their top receiver, 1,000 yards last year. He's number seven on Mel Kiper's big board overall for ESPN. Like, he's going to be a top 10, top 15 pick. They have other NFL receivers too. They have a really, really good O-line. I think I don't think people realize Pennix is one of the least pressured, least hit, least sack guys over college football the last two years. The guy just doesn't get touched when, when he's back there for UW most of the time. They don't really run the ball, but as we saw last week against UNC, when, when they need to, they can. Um, defensively, they, they've taken some steps forward. I know that's kind of weird to say after giving up 42 at the Coliseum last <laughs> week and a total shootout barn burner, but uh, they, they have enough guys that can get after the quarterback. Uh, they, they improved the secondary. Jabbar Muhammad has been a top cover corner for them. But really, I mean, landing Penix and having that array of receivers to throw to has been – really really impressive and Jalen McMillan who was a thousand yard guy last year at the receiver spot he's been banged up most of the year but he might be coming back this week or next week I mean that would just be another added boost to an already potent passing offense it's the number one passing offense in in college football and Pennix right now is either one or two in the Heisman race because of that
0: do you think um whoever wins the Pac-12 title do you think they're gonna make it to the playoffs I mean I think Pac-12 in my opinion has been the best conference in in college football this year. So it only seems fitting that whoever wins the Pac-12 title, given that, again, both teams, um, well, up to that point, you know, do win out, it only seems fitting to me that, you know, whoever wins the Pac-12 title, whether it be Washington or Oregon, they, they end up playing they end up going to the playoffs yeah
3: i i mean i i hope so uh we've seen some one loss at large teams that didn't make it to their conference title game or even win their conference title like tcu last year sneak in but a one loss uw or a one loss oregon team that wins the pac-12 championship game I, i think would be really hard to keep out top competition there i mean it would probably have to be the loser of michigan ohio state assuming that the winner of that wins out and wins the conference championship then that's going to be a really, really tough decision to make, especially because those two teams have been ranked over UW and Oregon all, all year long as undefeated. But I mean, the the body of work it's going to take to win the conference is going to be really tough this year. I mean, there are just so many ranked teams. It's as deep as it's ever been, and uh, ironically enough, it's because it's the last year of the conference and, and it's going away after this year. So uh, I if if it's a one-loss team, I hope they get in. But more than anything, just as a U double um, obviously I'm hoping that it's a 13-0 UW team and that makes it pretty easy for the committee.
0: So me personally, I'm from the East Coast, Philadelphia. We're very far away from each other, me and you, physically. What um I'm always curious, like, what are the what are how do people feel about this? Pac-12 basically being dismantled next year I mean because again I don't really feel it um, on on where I'm from even you know our college football fans out where I'm from on the east coast they're not Pac-12 fans right right, (laughs) you can imagine so I'm always curious to hear like how do people on the west coast like how do they feel about this whole even if even if it's not their team involved like how do, these, how do these fans feel about the Pac-12 basically becoming nothing, actually?
3: Yeah, time? it's it's a bit bittersweet. It, it's, you're losing a ton of history. It, it's a conference that started in 1913 or something like that. It's over 100 years. These teams have been playing each other since almost the 1800s, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, like, UW and, and Washington State are in-state rivals, but... UW's going to the big 10 and Wazoo doesn't have a conference yet. We, we don't know where they're going to go. And there's a high likelihood that that annual Apple cup rivalry doesn't exist anymore. From that standpoint, like losing those kind of regional rivalries, that really stinks. A lot of the teams are sticking together. Obviously UW, Oregon, USC, UCLA are all going to the big 10 together. A handful of these teams are going to the big 12. I think two or three of them are going to the ACC. So there's enough of that sticking around that I think some people kind of are indifferent about it, but Also, at the same time, just with how the Pac-12 was run for a few years with just bungling TV deals and messing up this and messing up that, the Pac-12 lost a lot of national respect. And I think just the name brand of joining a Big Ten or joining the Big 12 or joining the ACC might do these teams some good as we're kind of expanding college football. The playoffs are going to be expanded soon. It might help in that regard. Uh, But just from a history standpoint, it going from a Power 5, you know, uh country to a power of four that does kind of stink a- and uh i'm hopeful yeah. that uw and wazoo can find a way to keep playing um but uh, just with the way that it's all shaping up with expansion and nil and everything it just doesn't look like that's maybe in the cards for a lot of reasons
0: the travel too right? huge, The huge yeah. having, tra- well, having the travel a lot more right you know too how do you how do you think they'll do in the
3: big ten uh, I, think, yeah, I think I think I think U will be fine. Uh, next year is gonna be interesting because if if you you know you have eleven guys offense, eleven guys defense, but obviously you're playing more than those eleven. If you assume t- top fifteen guys on each side of the ball, thirty guys, U Dub's probably losing upwards of twenty guys next year. Panix and Adunze wow. and all those guys—they're a really really veteran team with a lot of guys with draft eligibility that are probably gonna get taken really high. Uh, so that I think, you know, long-term, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, they have a really strong program here. If Kalen DeBoer sticks around, I think they're going to be okay. He's shown that he can win basically at every stop. Uh, but next year is going to be interesting. It starts at quarterback. We don't know who that's going to be next year, but, uh, overall long-term, I think it'll be fine. Short-term next year might be (laughs) a little different than these last two years where they have won 16 in a row and Kalen DeBoer's 20 of 22 as UW's head coach.
0: Yeah. I mean, going to play Michigan, uh, that's be in Washington, luckily, but then they, they will have to play the ducks uh, in Eugene and Penn state uh, in, you know, at, at Beaver stadium as well. So it's going to be interesting to see definitely. uh, I mean, are fans excited to go to the big 10 though? I mean, I know we just talked about kind of their thoughts on the big 12 being dismantled, right. but like, I don't want to ask like kind of the same question, but a different way, but like how are the fans excited to kind of see a new change of pace to go to the big 10? Uh,
3: I mean, I, I think if all things were equal, you know, that, that, people would kind of prefer to keep more of the same, especially like you mentioned, the travel sure. aspect of it. People up here love to travel mm-hmm. to follow their teams. It's a little bit harder to go follow a, a big 10 game against Rutgers in Rutgers in New Jersey, rather than going down yeah. to Stanford or going down to ASU. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's an interesting challenge, but it's one that was kind of out of necessity. Once UCLA and USC left and then Colorado left, it was just very clear, like, okay, they're not going to be able to to bring in any sort of teams that's going to make this uh, as prestigious as it used to be. And so I, it was just kind of a move out of necessity from like a UW and Oregon standpoint. Uh, but yeah. overall, I, I think, again, using the term bittersweet, people would rather have kept it kind of the way it was. But again, at the end of the day, you do what you got to do to survive, especially when you're trying to keep yourself established as one of the better college football programs in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, they had to do something, right? I mean, like I said, the Big 12 is. Was- I mean, going to be gone next, I'm um, virtually gone next year. And it, it's a shame. I mean, big 12, biggest reason, I mean, Pac-12. excuse me, the biggest reason they're not going to be a thing anymore is they just couldn't get that TV deal. They were pretty much uh, just too greedy. And that's really the biggest reason why they are, you know, dismantling because they, that, that TV deal, TV deal just could not get locked yep. down at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, I do want to just touch base kind of going way off tangent here, the Kraken going back to professional uh, sports. Um, what are the fans, I mean, Kraken, obviously the first couple of years they've been in uh, the league so far, they've been having a lot of success. So what are the fans thinking about the Kraken, you know, this year, their outlook going into this year? Like, what's the expectations? Like, what would be a successful season for them? Like, what what is the hype uh, just, you know, two weeks here into the into the, uh, NHL season? Yeah, uh,
3: I mean, they, they were able to make the playoffs last year. And I think that kind mm-hmm. of helped ramp up excitement because that was year two, year one, a lot of fan excitement didn't didn't quite go their way. They had sixty points. They they finished I think last or second to last in the Pacific Division. They had the number two, number three pick or whatever it was. So, but but making it to the playoffs, they knocked off the Avs and they were the defending Stanley Cup champs. They took Dallas to seven games in the in the next round. The expectations were definitely pretty high. I, I don't think it was Stanley Cup title aspirations high, but hey, let's get back to the playoffs and let's just see what we can do. I think that was it. The majority of the rosters back. They started a little slow. They really had some struggles kind of trying to just get the puck in the net. They were a really good scoring team last year with a lot of good depth. It Mm -hmm. took them a little bit to kind of find their footing. It's been better of late. It's still kind of hit and miss overall, but – I think right now, if the season ended, they'd be the first team out of the playoffs in the Western Conference. So they're right there. And that's kind of where I expected it is, somewhere in that five to eight to nine kind of range for the Western Conference. They're doing fine. They've, they've shuffled some line stuff to try to get things going. And I think that they found a little bit of a good fit of late over the last week or so. Um, but getting Matty Beniers, he was the rookie of the year, Calder Cup winner last year. Uh, he was. You know, a key part. He runs their first line. He didn't score his first goal until last night against the Avs. They had taken him a little bit. So if Matty Benears gets going, it's a very different lineup. They, they have a really. You know, again, they, they they really pride themselves on their depth and just getting the puck in and beating the heck out of people up on the boards. And when they're able to do that and play their game, they're as tough to beat as anybody. Uh, I, I think that they're, they'll probably sneak into the playoffs again. I don't know if they'll get to the Cup. I, you know, that's just such a hard thing. But also mm-hmm. just getting to the playoffs, that's ultimately what matters. We see number one seeds and Boston was like the best regular season of all time last year. Didn't make it out of the first round. so get into the dance floor you can do anything and i think that's ultimately kind of just the, the goal for them is just getting back there and seeing what else they can do
0: let's talk about seattle being a hockey town in general i mean we're fan, i mean we're the people in seattle were they clamoring for a hockey team for a long time before they came because it kind of i mean for some of that doesn't i don't follow hockey tremendously but it did kind of seem like they got an expansion kind of out of the blue a little bit and i you know i'm sure from the local perspective i'm sure people were clamoring for a team for a long time
3: yeah, it, just being a bigger city with, with an NFL and an MLB team, and obviously they, we had an NBA team up here for a really long time, that was kind of what was missing, right, was that NHL team. Um, there's a really good kind of younger hockey scene up here. We're part of the, mm. the Western Hockey League. The, the Seattle Thunderbirds are always a really good team, um, a little further north, Everett. Like, there, are, there are a lot of there's a lot of really good hockey up here. So it was definitely something that I think people were expecting for a long time kind of like the NBA where I think if they expand, it's going to be Seattle and Vegas. It seemed like that was kind of a natural fit for, for them for this last expansion too. So people are excited about it. I mean, I I think people are still kind of just trying to get to know the players and the game and how it's played. It's a little bit more of a casual viewing experience versus the Mariners or the Seahawks that have been around since the seventies and everybody knows them and follows them and whatnot. And, knows what they are and knows what they're not. But, uh, I mean, getting the Climate Pledge Arena, it's a really, really cool atmosphere. It's a beautiful, beautiful arena. Um, People are definitely excited about it. And, again, going off of that playoff run, I think that kind of got excitement really going again, too, after a a little bit of a poor first-year showing. But, no, it's Mm -hmm. it's a great arena. It's a great fan base. People are, are really excited to have professional hockey up here.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially just being so close to, you know, Vancouver, you know, Cal- I mean, Alberta is kind of uh, very close right. to you guys as well. And being that is the epicenter of hockey right there, especially, uh, you know, Edmonton, you know, Vancouver, Cal- you know, Alberta, and then just Canada in general. Obviously, you have being so close to the border there. I'm sure you have a big hockey scene. I do want to ask one last question before we head out, though. You mentioned the Supersonics. Um, mm-hmm. What's been new on that front? I know uh, definitely it's no, no secret, it's definitely public news that, Seattle is on the forefront. I mean, there. I know I think like Las Vegas and Seattle are the two main places uh, that, you know, Adam Silver's looking at for an expansion. I know a TV deal is coming up here soon that would also help with that and kind of, you know, spur that on further too. But what are there like, what else can you talk about that? Has it been, has it been like any more rumblings locally on the potential to get an NBA team? And would they? And I'm assuming, I would hope so anyhow, would they still be called the Supersonics if they did come back?
3: Yeah. So on the, on the naming standpoint, one of the things when they moved the Sonics to Oklahoma city was the city of Seattle got to keep the naming rights and the colors and the banners cool. and the history and whatnot. Right. So if a team comes back up to Seattle, whether it's a, a, a team moving, like getting relocated or in a brand new expansion team, it's going to be the Sonics and they're going to have that, that, that history that existed up until 2008. So from that standpoint, like that part's pretty established. Um, the, the arena, the, that was kind of a, a big part of why the Sonics left. They didn't have the new arena. Key arena was kind of a falling apart, a little bit of a dump there, but it just wasn't the, the best venue for it. Um, Climate pledge arena is a beautiful spot. Obviously the Kraken play there, the, the Seattle storm of the WNBA, they play there. Uh, they, they have designated areas down in kind of the bowels of the stadium for an NBA team. And, and just so, Everybody up here is ready for it. It's just a matter of when it's formally announced. It's kind of again like the worst kept secret that if they expand, it's probably going to be Seattle and Vegas at the at the front, just like it was for hockey a few years ago. So it's it just it all has to do with that TV deal. Whenever that mm-hmm. that gets announced, which is probably year year and a half, two years <laughs> away. Uh, so I mean, if I had to guess, we're probably four, maybe five years away from the Sonics officially coming back and playing their first game. But I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those you know not not if but when sort of deals, yeah. which I know for a lot of people up here, myself included, having lived up here my whole life, that's really exciting to have the NBA basically close to coming back, especially after yeah. – I mean, it's been 15 years, which is crazy to think about, but that's exactly what it's been. And uh, But it'll
0: be back here sooner than not, and uh, that's going to be really fun to follow along. Yeah, it's crazy to think even Durant started there too. Yep. But, no, it's – um, I mean, believe me, from the national – Point of view, I can tell you that everyone wants to see the Supersonics back, not just people in Seattle. Because they, uh, there's something about them. I don't know. Like I said, from the na I mean, I know obviously why you, you know, you, you and your fan base in Seattle would want them back. But I, something about the uh, Supersonics, even from a national perspective, uh, they they just hit. I think everyone would want to see them come back. And like I said, it probably will be you in Las Vegas next. And then I think what they're going to do is probably send like Minnesota and Memphis to the Eastern Conference and kind of even things out. So I'm all for it. Let's uh, let's make it happen as soon as possible. Brandon, this has been awesome. We'll do this again sometime. Have to do this again. Have you on again, um, you know, maybe down the stretch, maybe down the season, see how the Seahawks are doing, especially if they make, uh, make it into the playoffs. And then especially if they make a, a, a deep playoff run, we'll definitely have to have you on again, do this again sometime, okay? Yeah, for sure. No, any, anytime. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Yeah, we'll be in touch, okay? Yeah, you bet. All right. Awesome interview with Brandon. Definitely going to have him on again. Uh, awesome, awesome interview. Let's finish up the show, though. Justin, we're going to start with you. What is your off-the-map of the My week? My off-the-map of the week is the NBA Players' Union hiring
1: Andre Iguodala as their, not spokesman, the uh, the Players' Union leader of the uh, the NBA Players' Association. Uh, that's a good—it's uh, going to be very interesting. The NBA is definitely very good with the Players' Unions, as pretty much all the other leagues are, kind of except for the NFL the NFL obviously needs to do better with the players' union, as we've talked about. But with the NBA, Igadal is a pretty decent hire, pretty decent hire, and the okay. play and him being a former player, and I think the uh, I think this is going to be interesting after his career to see him. Be more involved with uh, with the NBA as a league and the players' union because Iguodala had a pretty decent career. He won titles in Golden State, and uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting. I think it's a very interesting hire as uh, the NBA
0: players' union leader. That's my off the map of the week. I'm going to keep it in the NBA, and I'm going to go with the Clippers. Um, obviously, we all know James Harden got traded to the Clippers. They're all, I mean, I know it's. he still needs to get accustomed to the team, but their offense has looked very bad with him on the, on the court so far. I mean, with him playing, they're now 0-2 with the two games that he has played in Los Angeles. Uh, they look really flat, the entire offense. I mean, they played the Knicks and the Nets in those two games that Harden was with the team. They looked pretty bad. I mean, Harden finished with 12 points on four of nine shooting with eight rebounds, five assists, and two steals but five turnovers. Those turnovers represented a third of the Clippers' total, 15 on the night. That is, again, when they played the Nets. Uh, Clippers were outscored by 15 points with Harden on the floor. That's the worst mark on the team. That's uh, my off the map. I mean, Clippers not looking very good so far with Harden. Still time will tell if, you know, the ball – the ball first mentality of Harden are, is going to affect the Clippers. That's going to be too early to tell right now. But, yeah, so far Clippers are off to a really good start with Harden. I know he still needs to get adjusted with him, but it's still something to look, uh, keep an eye on going down the stretch here. Zach, what is your off the map of the week?
2: Uh, I'm going actual uh, off the map here, and that's I don't know if you've seen this on ESPN when you go to the scores for football or basketball. Now they have the home team on the top. Like that is not how this works. You have the road team on top, the bottom team at home. Like yeah. imagine if you started watching the games or whatever, and the scoreboard was completely different. Like I, I just don't understand this. It's confusing me. Now I'm thinking, okay, well the Arizona Duke game is in Arizona tonight. When the actuality is it's a Duke. Like stop trying to throw me off here yeah. and. Just, why Why ESPN? Why? Why make it harder for your fans?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at that now. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, that is weird. Didn't even notice. Yeah, good off the map. Justin, what is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is the way the NBA in-season
1: tournament is. And the trophy is called the NBA Cup. I mean, this, is, is it the Stanley Cup or is it the NBA Cup? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that's what it's yeah. that's what it seems like. So, Group A in the Eastern Conference is the Indiana Pacers, the Atlanta Hawks, the Detroit Pistons, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. What why are we setting it up like this? I mean, shouldn't you kind of set it up through the divisions? That would probably be much more interesting if the if they just set it up out of the divisions cuz obviously the Sixers are in the division with the Knicks, the Celtics, uh, the uh, the Nets, uh, the Toronto Raptors. I mean, maybe you can do it by divisions, obviously, but this mm-hmm. is just this is just weird. And same with the Western Conference, this is just a, a weird thing. I mean, this this in season tournament is just what a silly idea by the NBA and Adam Silver.
0: Yeah, do you think people are not giving it enough of a chance just because it had such bad publicity? And- uh, I
1: I, mean, the publicity is there. And, yeah. I mean, this is kind of rivaling the NFL, obviously. This is rivaling the NHL. Uh, this is just, I mean, yeah. you could do, do, I mean, I would do it at the All-Star break, just like I said with baseball. I, I mean, that would be the smarter decision is, to scrap the all-star game and just do in-season tournaments if you're the MLB and the NBA mm-hmm. and even the NHL. I mean, it's kind of better than a skills competition or an all-star game. I mean, it's kind of, kind. Yeah. Of, I, I, would, I, I would prefer the in-season tournament if it was at the all-star game, but the way it's set up,
0: it doesn't make any sense. Last night, Friday, was the second Uh, round of games for the in-season. And
1: another thing too, is the winning city going to have a parade for the NBA cup (laughs) or the Stanley cup NBA, whatever we can call it now.
0: (laughs) My long haul of the week. Uh, We need to stop talking about Robert Sala's comments on Zach Wilson. Um, You know, when asked about benching Wilson, Sala said, I plead the fifth. It's clear. I mean, Zach Wilson is clearly not the guy. I mean, obviously Robert Sala would love to have Aaron Rodgers back you know, at the helmet quarterback, and maybe he will. I mean, Aaron Rodgers expected to come back, you know, maybe even before the playoffs. And like I said, I kind of said it on Thursday show too. All the Jets have to do is just kind of stay in playoff contention for him to come back. And then once he does, they're going to be a really scary team. But, yeah, I mean, people putting extra pressure on Robert Soller about, you know, benching Zach Wilson. I mean, like I said, he's clearly not the number one choice. He wouldn't not be Soller's number one choice at quarterback, but that is the best he has right now. And like I said, Zach Wilson has actually played decently well on some primetime games. Not this most recent primetime game he's played, obviously, you know, this past Sunday night, but it's a difficult situation altogether and uh, being blown up more by the media. Zach finishes off. What is your long haul of the week?
2: How many more overseas NFL games do we need? Like when we were doing it once a year, it was a novelty. Now that we're doing it five times a year, it just feels like overkill, especially this weekend. We're giving them Patriots, Colts. Like speaking as Colts fan. This is not a particularly great matchup. We're not giving them Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning or anything like that. We're giving them Gardner Minshew versus Mac Jones. Outside of last week, we're not giving them good overseas games. Uh, Jaguars-Bills is okay, I guess, but, I mean... The novelty factor is worn off. It's just like what happened with the NHL with the Winter Classics. Or they start doing more outdoor hockey games, and now all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal that they're doing it anymore. So if you're going to have one-offs, you need to treat them like that. One-offs, not five-offs, because then they start losing their appeal, they start losing their meaning, and they just become regular games. We don't need to have five games a year overseas.
0: All right, guys, good show. We'll be back on Tuesday. You know, We're going to break down NFL Week 10 gave our previews today, but we're gonna break down every game like we usually do and get into anything else that comes up in the meantime as well. But yeah, until then, we'll see you Tuesday and keep on traveling.